0: Welcome to Syntalk. The Syntalkers around the table today discuss the stories of the anonymous. We'll think about the lesser-known, forgotten, ignored, anonymized, fragmentary, and marginal in various contexts. What is an anonymous life worth? How do social and material lives of those from long ago and far away intersect with our imagination today? What does history comprise of? How do people relate to objects? Do we possess our names? When is the anonymous mode more appropriate? What is the importance of being famous? What is the significance of inner life? How do anthropology, literature, and history intersect? Do we have to be careful not to monolithize even the marginal? And what is the likely future of anonymity and inner life? We are pleased and privileged to have two sin talkers with us here today. Professor Ananta Kumar Giri, He strives to be a student of life. He is a professor at Madras Institute of Development Studies at Chennai. His research areas are new horizons of human development and transformations in philosophy, education, and literature. And Professor Aloka Parashas Sen. She is a historian and currently Professor Emerita at University of Hyderabad. She is deeply interested in investigating the past, with particular reference to social history of marginal groups. She is also interested in writing of regional and local history. So, uh, Ananta, why don't we set the ball rolling with you when you think of the anonymous or anonymity um, maybe as a mode or as a person or a situation or a fact. Like, what comes to mind? What is it for you as... As somebody who has thought of these things from a variety of vantage points over the years and to the anthropologist in you, to the philosophy student in you, to the student of life in you, uh, what is it? What comes to mind?
1: The anonymous, for example, the word itself is an adverb. But what it points to, both the noun and the verb, in its multiple connotation and processes. Being anonymous, for example, where one is with a name, but not too preoccupied with name, and one is with the process of life, the journey of life, and that is a deeply significant process because one is not, Always distracted by preoccupation with names. In a way, it is a kind of a niskama karma, or one is doing one's work without being too preoccupied with who is the doer.
0: So you mean that one is not uh, always aware of one's subjecthood. You are you doing things or in the world.
1: No, one is. Realizing oneself as a subject, but without the sense of possessive preoccupation Mm. that I am doing it, this is Ananta who is doing it, or not being too anxiety-ridden about one's name. And therefore, there is a deep significance of uh, anonymity. But at the same time, anonymity does point to names, And and what is the significance of a name or names? In one point of view, we could look at names as just nominal. Right. But at the same time, names are also symbols of self-aspirations and mutual aspiration. When a name has been given to us, from a varieties of perspectives, including traditions of thinking about language, that this name does acquire a sense of reality in the path of the world. And if we can open ourselves to the multiple invitations that are enclosed within that name, then one, it contributes to the realization of possibility that is inherent in a name.
0: And there could be multiple names. One is the birth name, the given name. But sometimes over a period of time, depending on what one goes through, depending on who one interacts with, uh, it could become more multifaceted.
1: Indeed. And therefore, names also needs to be uh, traveling. And uh, I'm just remembering a conversation I had. In Estonia... In December 2004, where it is very cold, (laughs) and I was (laughs) visiting the university, and uh, a friend told me about an Estonian novelist, Mm -hmm. where one of the episodes is like this. And building on that, I have written this poem, Oh, I was going by the side, I was going by the water, You asked me, what is my name? You smiled, that is my name. Right. And the other aspect of naming is that uh, in my humble journey as a student of life, when I am asked, what is my name? I say, okay, first of all, when I am asked, who are you? I say, I'm a student of life. You then, don't give your name? <laughs> I'm beginning with. And then the question becomes, but you do not look as a student of life. No, when I'm asked, who are you? I'm a student. But you do not look like a student. I'm a student of life. Then the other person would start saying, I'm also a student of life. Right. Then I say, very good, but where is your notebook? Right, And coming back to name is that when I'm asked, what is your name? I say, I have been given a name, but as we are meeting, you can give me a name. And that kind of interactions we have also had a couple of times. And it leads to very interesting kind of intercultural dialogue and possibility. For example, uh, in a meeting in Oslo while meeting a participant from America in this conversation, so we came to a name for our as Helena Saraswati hmm.
0: What do you think is going on there? Is that like memorizing that interaction, that conversation that set up, that dynamic between those two individuals, so in a way, are we naming that relationship. Uh, what happens? Why is this happening? Why is it significant from your standpoint?
1: First of all, it is a process of being together. Yeah. And as we are together, then exploring new kind of possibilities of emergence hmm. with our name. Hmm. For example, I ask her, what is your name? Helena. And then I say, very nice. Would you like to have a new name? Right. Yes. What it could be? Say, let us say, Helena Saraswati. Right. So it is a journey, you know. And then once similarly, I have a few friends. And uh, since we are talking about… How many
0: names do you have by now, Anant?
1: Well, that will come. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that reminds me of uh, the theme of our conversation, Stories of the Anonymous. Yeah. And that really brings us to a story. And the anonymous and the story and the possibilities that has, uh, in just a minute or even less than that, I wish to share this story. Now, it was uh, one evening in... Uh, the beautiful city of Krakow, which is the cultural, you know, very cultural... Poland. Poland. I was just walking. And suddenly, I hear a voice from the back. And then a woman comes and she says that, can I take a photo with you, my father and myself? We have come from a faraway city. (laughs) Yes, please to take. Because she was happy to see an Indian in the street and she wanted to have a photo. And her name is LGBiata, as we got to know. And that meeting many years ago, almost, uh, I think, 10 years ago, it was 2013, it has blossomed into a very deep journey. Uh, LGBiata, works as a librarian in her city. And in the process, I have thought a name for her as Beth Bidusi, Al Jabiata, belonging to Beth, and therefore speaking about story of the Anonymous, just meeting in the street. And see such a kind person. She went on to translate a book of poems of mine called Weaving New Hats. Into police.
0: Right. And Aloka, as you hear all this, to mm-hmm. the historian in you, which I'm sure you you worked on the marginal mm-hmm. and fragments and so on, and I'm sure we'll have mm-hmm. an occasion to speak about some of those things. Uh but from your vantage point and from your studies and your reflections over the years, mm-hmm. where do you see the somewhat ordinary, if I if I can use that word, the mm-hmm. ordinary, the day-to-day, the everyday, the commonplace? Mm-hmm. interact or intersect with the grand with the mm-hmm. with the with the teleological with the meta narratives where do these two come together from your vantage point
2: um yes um carrying forward this conversation about names and naming at some level there's anonymity and there are no names in historical records right, right. so there are just people who don't have names But I wouldn't like to, you know, sort of talk about names and no names in terms of binaries. Because uh, I think uh, Giri has also mentioned this whole thing about it being a process. So when you take a look at long-term history, Mm -hmm. uh, within the Indic traditions, uh, almost everything that was what we call texts, ancient religious texts or ancient literature, uh, there are no names, there are no authors. Finding authors is a problem. So these were poems that were heard. So Shruti, hearing is important. And then later on, they were remembered, Smriti. And uh, so the names that we have then are only names of schools of thought. Right. Uh, and later on, maybe uh, uh, schools, uh, gurus, or lineages of gurus or teachers, and so on. So that so so as far as the 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 classical tradition is concerned, then uh, there is anonymity in terms of authorship. But then, uh, when you come to the everyday and you come to ordinary people, so
0: even things like the Vedas and yeah, that's and, what you know. uh, the v-
2: Veda. Another name for the Veda is Shruti. Shruti right? And uh, another name for the sutras or dharma sutras or the, even the Ashtadhyay or any of the ancient texts, they are sutras which are remembered. Right. So the way they are written uh, and so on and so forth is uh, so that it's feasible for memory or memorization.
0: But who are the authors? Who so, are the composers? So, so, so. so
2: for example, grammatical texts, you have an a panini or you have yeah. a patanjali uh, for his mahabhashya you have names like this but then are these individual names or groups of people group, or, or, no, groups. Or, or lineages of right. scholarship and so on uh, kautilya and so on so that is as far as the 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 long long durée of tradition that you have but then my question always is that what about a large majority of people who are nameless Right. So it's only in later historical time that when you come to a different kind of source for writing history, namely inscriptions, that you begin to get names of, you know, the royal elites, the families, families in particular, or lineages of families, uh, Sampradaya lineages, and so those kinds of names. But still. The really downtrodden or the really excluded communities, their names don't figure. They are only known as the cultural other or the subordinate other. But in the inscriptions, rarely they begin to emerge in terms of having specific names. And, of course, I can recall an example that I came across from this very famous Buddhist site of Amravati, where Buddhism, of course, was a very vibrant uh, force Uh, during uh, late centuries uh, before the Christian era and the early centuries of the Christian era. uh, We found uh, an auspicious pot or a a Purna ghatta, which was dedicated. And below that very tiny inscription talking about uh, a certain Vidhika, who's the son uh, of a teacher, but he himself says that he's from the Charmakara Jati, the Jati of leather workers,
0: the cobblers, cobblers, and that
2: he came there with his friends and his family and his wife and his relatives to donate this Purnaghata to the Buddhist order. So here... Uh, and of course, there are other places like Sanchi or many of the Buddhist cave temples in Western India, where you get
0: individual names that begin to emerge,
2: right? So I think that uh, we have to. But there
0: v- is there is something incidental about that. There is something accidental about the fact that that happened to survive and so on. Like that that uh, that name, whatever that name was, yeah. was not the, the protagonist of that situation it just happened to be yeah uh, so
2: it's like the the everyday life of individuals being drawn to different ideologies their sense of devotion so it's not just Charmakara Jati peoples but there would be Gahapatis or householders there would be wives of merchants and others plowmen gardeners uh, those who make uh, jewelry etc all these uh, people would be drawn towards these and. Sent- the these uh,
0: communities that they have their share of legends and stories and myths going. Yeah, but
2: Not in the particular material that I'm talking about. Sure. They, uh, it would be, and I'm sort of progressing historically, that when you come into the medieval and late medieval times, or even in the modern context, many of these communities that were within the classical tradition, so-called left out or subordinate, they begin to emerge with their own Kula Puranas or Puranas of their families, family, family histories. And therefore, there is another naming that happens. The naming by caste or uh, or tribe, or any other identity, kin kin-based identity, one could call them. So there is individual name, there's family name, and then there is this kin-based identity.
0: What, what do you think is the underlying impulse? The why un- does that happen? Why does that happen more or less consistently in different parts of the country and the world?
2: Yes, I think that that's got a lot to do with who we are, who you are. So identity. So why, who are
0: we? Identity. Is, hmm. Yeah.
2: Who are we? So why would there be, uh, um, you know, long. Uh, and in this sense, there would be oral genealogies, oral writings. You know, there would be in Andhra Pradesh, there is a very famous community called Runjas, which are genealogists. They go from one village to the other, recording the events of your father, great-grandfather, and so on and so forth. So they just on.
0: maintain family family, family. trees. Yeah. Yes.
2: The elites w- uh, the elites would be interested in doing that. But then the Kulapuranas...
0: Is that, is, that, is that to preserve and... Transfer property is that like are there are there more mundane no. reasons why that no, happens? I don't. Or I don't it's... think property transfers happen through uh, land
2: rights that are given to communities by uh, people who own land, and then the creation of what are called uh, tax-free lands or agraharas and all. So transfer of property is not the main issue. I think the main issue over here is. Naming has got a lot to do at a particular point in historical time when you want to assert your identity, which earlier you were not permitted to or you didn't have the abilities to do. So there is a progression of the question of naming, also a question of confidence, also a question of having alternatives. Right, right. So, so I think that naming is is a journey. And in that, in the in
0: historical time, when does that happen more or less?
2: So, as I gave you the names, the early earliest would be the early centuries of the Christian era. But then they would develop uh, into later historical periods as well. But then there there would be the construction of entire narratives. Around, let's say, uh, excluded castes like uh, the Malas or Madigas or or Charmakaras or like the Valmiki genealogies and these are
0: these are myths or these are uh, somewhat factual. uh, It's it's troublesome territory. Yeah, Yeah, it's
2: troublesome territory and it's difficult because then, if you take a look at the pan Indian, what are called the pan Indian Puranas, where do you divide the line between myth and reality, right? So, myth has its own place in the construction of who we are, but In this case, when you are talking about, let's say, okay, we talked about naming in families, asserting from anonymous becoming something, then there are also places. There are sthala puranas, a place that was not known in the larger religious history then begins to get identified as a very important place. So this is the
0: case of the place asserting itself. A
2: place asserting itself, which was incognito to a larger section of people coming from elsewhere. So the medium of the puranas, maybe incorporates a lot of myth and legend and so on. But I think that at that particular historical point in time, there is also an element of reality that goes into the making of these. So naming, I think, is something we cannot sort of look at those with names and those without names as kind of binaries, you know. So I think that elite groups also at some points in time and in certain Kinds of literature don't
0: have names are there other exceptions to this construct to this narrative? Are there groups and subgroups which are a lot more somehow this whole process of naming is not so yeah. valiant? no see
2: for a historian of Pri in India, it's always a challenge to find the author, right? Who was the author? like okay, you probably think Kalidasa is well known as an author. Uh, you know, one of the jewels in the court of the Gupta king and all. But then when you go deeper into who is Kalidasa, there are many Kalidasas. So identifying who is the author of Shakuntala. Not a a
0: person, but probably a position or Uh, a seat.
2: Whereas when you come to what are called historical chronicles or charitas as they are called, that is biographies, then Banabhat indeed is the author of the Harsh Charita. Or Kalhan is indeed the author of the Raj Tarangini. So Kalhan
0: is a person, but is a person, like a natural person. Exactly.
2: And Kalidas is also probably a person. But then there are arguments about which Kalidasa and so on and so forth. That's exactly what I'm saying. One is the journey of the particular kind of source that is either it's a written source and there is a journey from, let's say, uh, stutis and sutras and puranas and then charitas. Right? And then there is the journey of another kind of source, which is more tangible in the form of inscriptions. And then as you move along, increasingly more names begin to emerge. And around the
0: time that Kalidasa or Kalidasa has lived, uh, were were the oral traditions reasonably vibrant?
2: See, I think again, uh, again, I'd like to bust this whole thing about orality and writing. Hmm. I think that the two coexist in very long periods of our history. So people with orality coexisted with people. Now, the question of writing, when did it come? But would it be
0: more somewhat accurate to roughly map the anonymous to the oral and the named to the no, written?
2: I don't want to I don't want to fix and make an argument that uh, the orality was only the domain of the anonymous. The orality was also the domain of those who were known, right. but they were known through their work. Right. They were work known through through what they've left behind as composite poems or what are called gathas. Right. And uh, I can share another example of a Gatha because, you see, Gathas are kind of sort of biographies of sorts, right? So, But they are Gathas sung by people. So let's say in Vedic times, you have the Indra Gathas. They are in honor of the gods, but there are also Naramshis in honor of human beings. But let's take an alternative tradition like the early Buddhist tradition. So I was very fascinated with Theri Gathas. Gathas that were in honor of the nuns, hmm. right? Or the, uh, did they actually articulate those Gathas? You mean nuns were,
0: of the Buddhist Sangha? Of the
2: Buddhist Sangha. So did they actually articulate those uh, uh, gathas or were they articulated for them through their experiences so in any case they had experiences so if you are really looking for anonymous experiences then we have to look at these gathas a bit seriously because the example let me share with you of Mutta or Muttu she has three things to talk about her earlier life before she joined the Sangha which is very interesting Uh, one is the drudgery of The other is the mortar and pestle, perhaps for grinding corn. And the third is, quote unquote, crooked old husbands, (laughs) right? So to get out of this, this gatha uh, is, is recorded in the Theri gatha. And it is really the innermost experiences that, but she's anonymous if we didn't have her Theri gatha and so on and so forth. So, I think that...
0: In in cases like the the Sangha acted as a refuge of sorts.
2: Yeah, freedom, Freedom. emancipation. And that is spiritual emancipation. It's not as though the Sangha was this fantastic place where everything became smooth and orderly many of the nuns faced a lot of uh, you know discrimination in any case the vows that they had to take were uh, totally different from the vows that the men had to take and there was a sort of inegalitarian order you mean vows of celibacy uh, celibacy, You know, so so many rules there are the what are called patimokha rules for the nuns there there was a kind of a inegalitarian distribution of how these rules were framed and many nuns complained about it and are
0: there, are there several named nuns? or Yes, is this, many,
2: is... many. In fact, there's a large number of, just as there are a large number of monks that are named, there are many uh, nuns also that are named. So they don't remain anonymous in that sense. But what I'm trying to suggest is that their lives before would have been anonymous, right. a large majority of women. So if you take a segment of our population, largely women, they would be anonymous, right? Unless and until Theri Gatha, that is the Gatha put down to writing by the Buddhists, and put into their canonical tradition
0: were not to be. What is happening here, Ananta, according to you? Like, what is this journey from like one kind of context to another? Where do you think inner life comes in? Uh, What's your read?
1: Very interesting. In fact, as Aloka was pointing to Teragatha, these are also poems written by Buddhist women. And these poems bring a journey with life and which includes inner life. And I'm here thinking about, for example, Amrapalli.
0: Mm.
1: Amrapalli, the beautiful, you know, soul. And the context is here Buddha, here Buddha is coming to meet Amrapalli. And therefore, that sense of Uh, That sense of dignity, the Biddha could have asked, you come and meet me. So therefore, these nuns, the women that have joined, the context is a sense of dignity and which has its own struggle. Mm. But nonetheless, the journey of the inner is very significant. And sometimes it is getting recorded, but many of them are namelessly. Because speaking about the mythic or the oral, we have many songs and poems which are anonymous, but they have been composed by some. And most of these, they bring a deep journey with life, the inner as well as the relational.
0: Is there a tussle between the two? Do you think there is a kind of trade-off between... The inner life and the outer, the inner and the relational, or, or, or do you think there's, like, how, how do you think of it? Because uh, somehow they're they positioned or juxtaposed as almost the opposites. Is, is that the case?
1: Now, again, here I would share with you a story. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> that story comes from my field journey as one of my journey as a student of life, as a student of anthropology. And one of the deeply memorable experiences I had, and it is linked to Mumbai in that sense, that the movement that I was trying to understand called Swadhyaya, which began here in Mumbai in Patsala, Madhavag Patsala, around 1944, again begins with this story where one young man, Pandurang Shastri Athabale, is trying to speak about Gita. And this, beginning with a little seed for Mumbai, then grows into a many-sided river and a stream and in villages in Gujarat. Now, I was doing field work and I spoke with this sister in a village. She said, when I was young, I was very active in the Swadhyaya movement. I would go from village to village. But when I have been married to another family...
0: Not not a crooked old man.
1: (laughs) 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 And she said that my activity has been curtailed. But every night before I go to bed, I just pray, my God, that please give me the energy... That I should be able to do your work. Look at the inner depth. Okay, she is not able to do anything but that sense of, you know, this earnestness that I, and that is an inner urge. And I think many of us, the stories that we are talking about, it is related to that deep sense of yearning that I might be externally constrained by multiple ways. But still, I want to be a singer of life. I want to be a dancer of life, understood symbolically as well as literally. Are
0: there uh, inner constraints?
1: Yes, there are, of course, inner constraints. Because inner life, in fact, what happens is, since we are talking about name, both the name and the anonymous are in the field of language. Right. And there is a limit of language. And uh, because life is facilitated by language, but life is much more than language. Mm.
2: That's right.
1: And therefore, the inner constraints, therefore, the whole category of the inner life is sometimes proposed in an unproblematic way, sometimes. Right. And that is because of a very naive view of life and so-called spirituality. But life itself has both inner constraints as well as external constraints.
2: Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, talking about the notion of the collectivity of uh, anonymity, collectivity of anonymity, in a sense that you mentioned individuals, but I think entire communities uh, remember themselves through their oral folk songs or their uh, cultural practices, their dance practices and so on. I mean, you know, I think anthropologists study a lot of these communities and that this whole sense of not an individual remembering, anonymity, but collective anonymity, bringing to life that through a journey of their community's existence right so long we are talking about as the names belong to individuals and individuals have to emerge as as characters or pictures in the historical narrative or in the in the religious narrative or whatever but the point is there is a social process of people living on the margins of our society uh, let's say when i talk about margins i'm really talking about people who are living uh, outside villages or outside urban settlements all through history.
0: You mean tribes? Uh, well, Adivasis uncomfortable term.
2: Yeah, uncomfortable uncom- term tribe, but maybe we could call them the uh, indigenous populations of the subcontinent whose habitat has been uh, in the forests or in the mountains, whether in the north, the northeast, central India, where have you. So these communities have remained anonymous in history textbooks for a very, very long time till recent when people have started writing about them. Even at their end? Even at at their end, their notion of history is totally different from ours, right? So their charitas, or their, that's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. So, the, so, so that that their orality is for their self-existence, their identity, and their collective being, uh, living in close proximity to nature. But when we are interested in identifying them and naming them, then what is our source of information? Not the ancient God or the ancient texts or the medieval texts, but rather uh, their oral memory. So here one can, apart from the tangible inscription or the collective uh, historical consciousness of verse and poem, we now have orality, memory.
0: But Aloka, unless there are natural interactions between let's say these indigenous groups and the others well there are otherwise you approach them only as an object of study there
2: are natural interactions the state is always interested in aggrandizing these groups because of the fact that uh, let's take the Arthashastra the Arthashastra is very interested in the knowledges that these people have many ancient medical texts are very interested in the knowledge of herbs and roots and barks of trees and all which are very important for the very existence of the human body and and more, most significantly uh, let's say when you take a look at uh, mainstream society moving into the forest either for pleasure for hunting or for looking for gardens and so on and so forth there's a, quite, there's a source of knowledge yeah there is a, and there's a continuous process of interaction that so therefore we the us but there is the no... us name them Right, uh, the us give, so our texts are giving them names of exclusion but they themselves don't consider themselves excluded they are within the space that they have been born into. Right? And
0: other records on their side oral if needed? Yes, of, of course. Of us? Uh,
2: their records are of their Themselves. survival, of their survival. But
0: have they recorded us in interactions? Yeah, for in example, interactions?
2: yeah. Taking the example of the again the cobbler community, when uh, was, uh, um, I think it was in the nineteenth century when some anthropologists or ad- administrators were trying to do some uh, recording work, then the cobbler said that the 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 problem with us is all due to the British. Rather than blaming the mythic world of the Brahmanical world order, they were actually blaming the British, the context in which that was being done for their wars, right? So I think that there is a a hunting. In, again, in colonial times, which uh, adversely affected many of these communities. Right. And therefore, they themselves were hunters and gatherers. But their hunting practices were of a totally different kind right. for, for their survival or also for protecting their environments, right? Whereas that hunting, which came from outside, was for destruction and dissemination of the space as well as of the uh, ways of life of these communities. So I think that anonymity of... Uh, I mean, I just wanted to bring in this point about collective anonymity rather than just uh, looking at stories of individual anonymity. And I think that in the Indic uh, context, we must necessarily talk about these collective anonymities. And I think as historians, I think increasingly people are becoming aware of uh, bringing these stories into life. Now, the question remains, how do you use memory as a tangible source
0: how does one form memories? Yeah, no, f- memory Trans- is formed naturally. Right.
2: Right. But, uh, but these point, oral
0: traditions you, and, you know, compositions, yeah, songs, poets, exactly. poems, etc. They're that.
2: recorded. So they're recorded. Then if we come to the purpose of who records them. Why do they record them? The British anthropologist did something. The administrator did something. The government of India ha- had a massive project, right? But these are state uh, projects. Uh, that so. project, which was uh, by K.S. Singh on the Anthropological Survey of India. So these things are indeed recorded and they continue to be recorded. And so then they become uh, legitimate, perhaps legitimate sources because we use anthropological records for writing history as well. But still, I want to, you know, sort of break this binary between that elite group, that uh, is constantly naming and the non-elite group. So, so so, so, to break that, maybe perhaps one should look at a t- more tangible source in historical research, one looks at archaeology. And then I think that in archaeology, my personal experience has been that rather than look for, focusing your attention to the monument or the big palace complex or whatever, you, you turn to looking at fragmentary.
0: Start at the fringes, look at the fragmentary, look fragmentary. at the non-hole yes
2: exactly and therefore once you do that you will find that there are millions of fragments
0: that's what ethnographers do that's what anthropologists do that's what
1: yes and to this very interesting conversation we can also bring some interlinked reflections of humanity for example now as we are talking about the kind of the possibilities of anonymous as a way of overcoming one's egotistic you know sense of limitation similarly the collective life when it is nourished with a sense of awakening it also realizes the limits of collective pride mm-hmm. therefore in many spiritual traditions mm-hmm. including indian and we are in the holy month of Ramadan as we are on our way to the Easter. Both in Islamic and Christian tradition, there is a deep invitation for overcoming a sense of both individual egotism and collective egotism. Therefore,
0: What, what is collective egotism?
1: Collective egotism, for example, oh, this is our country, India, which is the best in the world and this is the kind of naming where like a term like ek bharat shresth bharat for example a term like this but there are also traditions of thinking living traditions of thinking where one is with one's collectivity in a way always realizing that collectivity as part of nature and divine right therefore in islam for example we are all servants of allah in that sense that even the sense of nationhood is not the ultimate the ultimate is that that we are in the world of the creator so therefore as we are talking about the limits of the naming and in the life of an individual similarly there are people who are rulers or thinkers of the collective life, they have also thought about the limits of the collective naming in that sense. And here, India as a journey, what is the name for India? Hmm. Now our constitution says India, that is Bharat. Right. But in many of our languages, including Sanskrit, it is not Bharat but Bharata Barsa. Hmm. Right. And what is the significance here? Is that Bharatabarsa is possibly the only name of a country where Bharat pointing to a name of a person and a land is associated with time, mm. which then pointing to the whole dynamics of transformation that occurs within a name, thus never being prisoner of a kind of a fixed name which is a possessive noun or a possessive pronoun. But
2: talking about uh, uh, Professor Anand, talking about uh, religious uh, collectivities and uh, and uh, the whole question of ego uh, egocentric ness of these. Uh, I was just wondering because if you take a look at uh, you know the medieval bhakti traditions and the sampradayas, there the question is of giving up uh, ego dasabhakti dasabhav yeah. <laughs> the devotional das
0: you're like you are, yes. you're below yes. you're in serving fact, somebody the, yeah
2: in fact there is a, a necessity in these traditions of to surrender surrender and becoming anonymous
0: yeah which, right. is, which is roughly how I thought of the Buddhist Sanghas, for example, in some... Yes, in so, some sense. In some sense. Yeah,
2: in some senses, becoming one, becoming a part of an egalitarian order. But the point is that the chronicling traditions of the Buddhists and the chronicling traditions of, let's say, Bhakti traditions in different parts of the country uh, evolved in different ways, right? So, I mean, the Buddhist Sangha from the anonymous became very clearly established and they were well-set up and monasteries came up and there were uh, heads of monasteries and uh, you know there were different traditions devolved but in, in some senses the bhakti rasa was a rasa that you consciously attempted to give up your what
0: about uh, your, the veer rasa the heroic, the, the, heroic the, the, the thing of becoming famous yeah, of, of becoming fa- being valorous
2: yeah so there are several rasas right so uh, yes of course the, the veer rasas would apply to the warriors and those who went out into war and all. But then uh, this brings me to my favorite examples of uh, those girls uh, who were dedicated to temples, right? And they were, in the beginning, when you look at inscriptional records, they were named as people who were dedicated for the service, singing, dancing, doing uh, adoration of the God, etc. and were married to the God and so on and so forth. Uh, Later on, when you uh, look at the progression of how these communities were referred, this is also a community of of, uh, of devadasis. devadasis and and in, in, in Andhra they are called kalavanthalus and bhogastris and all that. But what happens is that later on they are subsumed within an activity of the temple as in performing angabhoga or rangabhoga of the deity. But the central point is their notions of creativity and of their being selfhood, which they enjoyed, that is, creative endeavors. And many anthropologists, like uh, in, in Odisha, you had Margolin doing it, and Tamil Nadu, uh, Kirsten Boom story, and then more recently, Devesh Soneji, all these people who have recorded the lives of these women, they don't look at themselves as being, uh, you know, rejected. Yeah,
0: rejected bottom of the uh, pile. uh
2: They look at themselves as having, taking pride in their identity as women who serve. But the question that I'm raising over here is that the notion of enjoyment or the notion of what we define within our moral uh, ethics of what is good or what is bad or what is Uh, acceptable and what is not acceptable, uh, we give meanings to their activities. So something that they did is within our moral frame, looked down upon. But for them, that was the very existence of life. And that creativity was very central to that existence of life. So how are we going to define their, I mean, are they anonymous or are they very much central to the functioning of the Hindu temple within the bhakti traditions, right? They're very central.
0: Who does the defining, Ananta? Like how do you, so a lot of the arguments and the points you made are somewhat self-reflexive. Um, what about this context where the other does the defining? In some of these cases where the other does the judging, um, where are you on that?
1: Yes. Well, life is a multiple movements of relations where both the self, other, as well as something beyond the self and the other, the systems are significant. Mm. But with that also, uh, one or two themes like, uh, you know, the theme of creativity that has been brought about, Aloka has pointed to that. So maybe we can... There is a dimension of judgment involved. There is a dimension of power involved. But speaking about both creativity and archaeology, for example, I was thinking about one or two related themes. Sure. Speaking about archaeology. Now, archaeology, the kind of remnants that we have, and whether they are fragments or part of a whole, but as we relate to the archaeological, now how do these remnants become living remnants in this sense that what kind of language we need to have? I wish to say uh, that we need to talk about archaeology of life. And uh, that archaeology of life is not just archaeology of knowledge that the great thinker Michael Foucault has talked about. The way I wish to expand this, which has a bearing on our conversation now, archaeology of life not just consists of texts, not just consists of documents nor monuments, but an archaeology of life which consists of movements. Of practices. I begin with movements. And what is that for you? Like, uh-huh. For example, these movements, like movements of consciousness, and awakening, like Amrapali, you know, she wants to meet Buddha, for example. I was telling you... You mean in the sense of a zeitgeist, like a group and... No, beginning with a movement in the life of individual and group, mm-hmm. a thought, a consciousness, you know, and which corresponds to multiple social and cultural movements. Right. But an archaeology of life where both the ordinary and the extraordinary meet in many ways. Right. In fact, uh, that ordinary and the extraordinary meeting in multiple ways. And uh, the question of creativity here is that as we become creative... Now, the creativity is a process which might be part of a process of naming, but the whole process of creativity also as a movement, it becomes such a movement, that as part, like swimming in the river of creativity, we forget our names. We
0: forget our, ourselves, our identity. Uh, it's an unconscious mode. And uh,
1: also, yes, identity and kind of a possessive naming. And right. here, I'm remembering this beautiful line from Tagore. And it goes like this. Aro preme, aro preme. More ami dubi jao You see, what is the multiple meaning of the name Mm -hmm. here? With more and more love, Mm -hmm. let my nami, the kind of the little I have, let it get drowned. Mm -hmm. But in Bangla, nami also means the name. Mm -hmm. And as I was coming, I was thinking, with more and more love, with more and more creative work, like the Bhakti movement was a period of multi sided creativity. Right. And in. Yeah.
2: yeah, you know, I just wanted to immediately react to this because uh, the archaeology of the Jain tradition, uh, in terms of many places in Karnataka, at Kopagal and Shravanabelgola, there are lots and lots of inscriptions that talk about the names of Jain sadhavis, also Jain queens. Their names are given, but these uh, uh, these inscriptions are really, um, uh, what you call it, nishidhis, which have been erected uh, to uh, to suggest that these women wanted to undertake the famous Jain ritual of Salenkana, that is self-mortification of the body. So here, these women who are named are not celebrating life, but they're wanting to decimate their bodies this is like the equivalent of sati. No, it no. is a no. It is a very slow pro. It's of renouncing life and a very slow process of a uh, uh, self mortification of the body. You don't kill yourself. This is yourself. like gradual renunciation. The, gradual renunciation. The ultimate, of course, is one with the spiritual other. So the, here, archaeology is not. Uh, we cannot really talk about it in terms of a movement or we cannot talk about it uh, gearing towards the process of life it's the opposite of that and here archaeology is one of the really unusual sources of information because the written texts of the digambara shvetambara jains actually reject them that right because they say that the women bodies are not suitable for undertaking these rituals right so so what i'm trying to point out over here is that when we look at the entire domain of different kinds of collective traditions that we've had on the subcontinent, then we get different paths of the relationship of the dominant with the anonymous, right? Sure. So many of these women, sadhvis and all, would have remained anonymous. As ananth very really rightly pointed out, a large majority of the nuns remained anonymous. A large majority of the bhakta saints remained anonymous, right? We know names of Akka or Akka Mahadevi or Andal and all. But there were many other anonymous women who also gave up their homes and who also joined the thing. Similarly with the Jain women. So when I look at an entire category of vulnerable populations like, let's say, women, there are, of course, the elite women, the queens and the and so on and so forth. But a large majority of women had only these avenues available to them to move out uh, from home, uh, outside I home. Pr- probably Ananta
0: used the word archaeology in a slightly different sense. And in, in, in the Foucault. of yeah, yeah.
2: Archaeology of life, like, yeah, I understood that. But I, but I really want to come back to questions of the tangible as well. Because, you know, if we only talk in terms of uh, of the intangible, then what we are leaving, we are uh, leaving aside issues around the materiality of life, the materiality of ordinary existence and so on and so forth, right? Of course. Yeah, so I think that we we shouldn't be losing sight of that. And uh, if I can take a minute or so about, you know, Continuing with the narrative of the temple girls and their traditions, you know, you talked about the Veera Rasa. There's also a rasa about sexuality and sexual pressure. And there's this case of uh, 1910, Bangalore Rannagra had been reading this 18th century poet in Telugu called uh, Muddu who also wrote in Sanskrit, both Sanskrit and Telugu. And this was uh, a very beautiful work on her own experiences about serving uh, in the court as well as in the temple, so so Nagratama thought that it's a good idea to publish this book. So this is like a real.
0: This is like two hundred uh, years later. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was two years later. It was banned by the police commissioner because they said that this was an obscene text. But here is this rare example of an anonymous. Because devil. by
0: that time the collective movements, the era, the more exactly. as moved somewhere they else They started
2: Mutulakshmi Reddy and all started the movement, sanitizing the system, reforming the system, etc., etc bringing the devadasis back into marital homes and, you know, um, treating dance and uh, music as some kind of a low activity that was done by them. But, but what uh, Bangalore Nagrutma has done is that she's retrieving that earlier tradition of experience and human pleasure, right? Which was in any case not looked down upon in the society as a whole, but then she becomes a target of having printed an obscene text, right? So here, the whole question of the context in which lives of women, particularly in this case, uh, their material existence, right? So she must have had the wherewithal of having money and etc. etc. to print the book. The men appreciated the book in terms of its content and its language. Uh, I'm sorry, not its content, but its language. They said it was very high Sanskrit and high Telugu and was written in very good language, but they rejected its content.
0: What What is it to be famous? What this is, is, that, what, this what, is what, what
2: it is to be famous. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but
0: I'm asking Ananta. I know there is this self-effacing attitude and predisposition towards the world. Uh, but again, it's kind of the same point about this tussle between the inner and the outer. And when one says relational, mm-hmm. what if it starts going in that direction where it starts becoming somewhat like fame being famous. What is that mode for you? And to use the word movements, where do you think we are? Where do you think we are going?
1: Like knowing, being known, being recognized. Now, these are parts of our human living in multiple ways. For example, there is a journey of what can be called as cognition and recognition. Yes. And this recognition, also there is this dynamics of fame or being known, and it has many sides to it. For example, I try to do my best, and I wish to be known in that sense, that how I want to be known, how I would like to be known.
0: Is the desire to be known vulgar?
1: not necessary a value
0: question no, yes
1: not necessarily for example to be known or to be famous let us for a moment uh, a kind of a bring a related concern of what is called mortality and immortality now in a way maybe the preoccupation with fame and naming could be related to a quest for immortality. Let my name continue, say, for 1,000 years. But in what way, how my name is going to be continuing? You know, therefore, it requires for a way of living. And uh, how do I live such a way of living that my name might continue for 1,000 years? And the current kind of, of course, each age age has its own measures of fame. But I think the current, our contemporary measures of fame and everything, it is still too short-sighted. It has a very narrow temporal framing.
0: Short-sighted as it is not long-term enough?
1: Yes. Because like I become famous... But for how long Yeah. all these concerns are not within the parameters of dominant consciousness. But because it is not there, that does not mean that the issues of life that we are confronted with the Venice evaporate because we are not concerned about it. Mm. So, if time permits, we can have a little conversation on this theme of mortality and immortality, life and death, and in what way we can live a living, whether people recognize or not. But that contributes to a kind of, you know, carrying forward the legacy of a striving with and beyond them.
0: And and this to, this this. The self-effacing nature, the anonymized life, the reflective inner life—that sort of a, a mode of being—is that often acutely aware of mortality? Conversely, <laughs> uh, is it is it is it is it a case of recognition or recognizing that any sort of yearning for immortality is kind of pointless anyway? Do you know where I'm going with
1: this? Yes, I think this is a gift of conversation in the sense that it's a very beautiful linkage or the bridge that you are bridging. Therefore, this awareness of mortality is in a way that how do we become aware of our mortality? What is the story experience that we go through again?
0: Because where is Bangalore Nagarathnamma today? Like uh, Aloka knows about her, but like yeah, but you see. know what I mean. So that's the point that we all do what we do. But in the long run, everybody is unknown.
1: Or... But at the, at the same time, Bangalore Nagaratnama is here now as we are speaking about. In this about.
0: conversation, that's a great point. No, but but she's, she's
1: not limited to that conversation in that sense. Yes. That no matter whether, say, our present prime minister talks about Nagaratna or not, yes. for example. Now, where are our names if we speak about, you know? Where is the name of...
0: When does it pay? When When is it appropriate to be
1: anonymous?
2: When you give up yourself.
1: <laughs> um, but I... Just relating to this conversation of mortality and immortality, yes. and dialogue with both life and death. Hmm. Hmm. That's it. And if time permits, just in half a minute, we can remember very interesting dialogues that have taken place in Indic traditions. Go ahead. With death. Go ahead. Beginning with the dialogue between Yudhishthira and Yakya. Yeah.
0: You
1: know, that very deep dialogue. Yes. And where, and this kind of, you know. Yes. And this is one. The second is the dialogue between Sabitri Mm -hmm. and Yama Mm -hmm. in Mahabharata. And Sri Aurobindo has written an epic about it. Mm -hmm. The point is, the dialogue with death, as it is happening here, it is also a dialogue with death that each and of us aware persons, name or anonymous, we are going through.
0: Yes. And if you're going through the dialogue with death, is there a paradox of simultaneously seeking fame?
2: I think that uh, I was mentioning to you the Jain tradition. There are entire texts that talk about pursuing death inviting death because of this uh, issue of salinkana that is held in very high esteem. So that is moving from individuality to anonymity. And I mean, there is a collective consciousness within the community that that's the highest ideal and that you must converse with death when you're going through this process because it's a very difficult process to go through right but then you're talking about the question of being famous and you know where is this taking us in this day and age where everybody wants to flaunt themselves and their and and their personhood i would call it not their selfhood but just their personhood what would happen in well the next couple of years or so when we are taken over in this digital world by a different kind of anonymity. Right, and this anonymity—I mean, you know—the very, the very creation of the way in which we are conversing is done by a whole uh, range of anonymous persons whose names are not necessarily written down in the digital world, except if you go through, uh, let's say, uh, the end of. An... Have have
0: have our forefathers worried about anonymity?
2: You see, the forefathers. You see, we must understand, and that is where Ananth makes a very important point that we must. understand understand the broader framework within which the Indic civilization looked at the relationship of the individual within uh, the divine and then at the cosmic levels, right? So this, uh, you're born into trying to understand that you're here just for a while and that the pursuit, ultimate pursuit, should be that you should become one, with the universal right with the, so there is a swadharma there is sanatana dharma and then there is this overall Uh, you know, becoming one with, in union with the thing. So whether it's gods or whether it's individuals, that you have to be looking in that direction. Otherwise, you just come back to this worldly existence and so on and so forth. And therefore, there have been very long and deep traditions which have been talking about trying. Even the bhakti is really a path towards that of union with uh, God and so on and so forth. Not Godhead, but with the cosmic uh, yeah. reality and and therefore one point i think which is, that which we is have the
0: ultimate anonymous. yeah
2: but the ultimate anonymous would be would be nature and uh, the, the the environment the non human the plants the the animals and others who only recently we are trying to bring into our sensibilities because we are realizing the the terrible things that we are doing to the world around us especially the animate world right because In, let's say, 20 years from now or 100 years from now, we may have to alter the way we look at ourselves and also our environment, right? So the anonymous, uh, you know, I mean, the anonymous would be the other uh, as in the mute other. And uh, we would be the ones articulating. Uh, so we have to, in the 21st century, maybe perhaps we haven't to talk about only the rights of human beings, but we have to write, we have to really seriously well, the talk about the non-humans. Right, Exactly right? So, I mean, this whole thing of being famous and this whole thing of personhood, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, may disintegrate naturally because of this non-concern that we have for the world around us. And in that sense, I want, being a historian of very early India, perhaps one should go back in time to the hunting, gathering, and other communities where there was a kind of equal dependence of human beings on on, uh, on each other, where the humans, non-humans living in cohabitation. And Oftentimes, in various traditions in India, you're constantly, uh, you know, very concerned about protecting nature, you're protecting the universe, the, the human and the animal. Uh, you'll be surprised that legal texts uh, in early India actually talk about the dharma of animals as well, because without them, the sacrificial fire doesn't exist. So it is a means, they are a means for you to achieve that ultimate bliss. Right? So I think that, uh, that as we move along, as, as human civilization moves along, uh, we have begun to realize if we erase anonymity at some level, then there is another anonymous that comes up, yeah. right? And then we have to deal with that. But we have to look at it within, as as Anant has very rightly been pointing out, we have to look at it within the larger context of our philosophical and realizational traditions, which enable us to think beyond the individual in this world, right? Uh, the individual really becomes meaningless in that sense. And therefore, this thing about being famous or, you know, glorious and things like that, it's very difficult to find, uh, except in maybe the prashastis of rulers or the Kavya literature where they praise, uh, you know, the great kings and, you know, and so on and so forth. Other than that, everyday life, ordinary life, I don't think that there are many examples of of that.
0: where are, where are you on these two... Somewhat opposing notions, one of the individual and the other of the non-human, because in a sense they are... Uh...
1: Yes. For example, stories. Now, relating to this whole call for a new archaeology of life, beginning with doing archaeology in terms of listening. Hmm. Listening to what is existing, which are not just ruins, but they are living remnants suggesting possibilities. It is in that sense, for example, tree. Now, the trees that are with us, the mountains that are with us, what stories do they tell? And we are not totally devoid of that capacity if we make an effort to develop our capacity just to listen to stories. So, therefore, we need to... Uh, in terms of stories, also not just anthropocentric stories or community, therefore, the Jataka tradition of stories, what is pointing to?
0: How does one listen to the mountains? Yes. I, I, this is not a, a
1: functional question. <laughs> that is so beautiful. And uh, that for being with a mountain and here. Uh, a, a, a deep seeker of our times, his name is Chitaranjan Das from Odisha. 60, 70 years ago, he went to the Himalayas. Right. And being with the Himalayas, both with the communities, not only with nature, he has written a book called Sila Tirtha, mm-hmm. means Tirtha of Sila. Of Sila, yeah. The concluding chapter in this that If you want to listen, you can also listen to the mountain. Mm. And the point is, listening to the mountain, if you look at today the emerging indigenous awakening that is coming up, Mm. one of its implication is to really to be able to develop our ways of being with the world where we can listen to the river, listen to the mountain, think of, and here literature can also help us. Think of the great novel Siddhartha by Harman Hess. Yeah. What the boatman and this young boy are doing. Absolutely. The boatman is listening to the song of the river. The young man yeah. is not able to. He's getting, yeah. getting bored.
0: Yeah.
2: But that 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 is so important because for human survival, I think listening to the mountain or listening to the river or listening to other non-humans they are so important for yes. human survival
0: and, and what, getting bored is almost the opposite of wanting to be famous yes, <laughs> yes. and
1: uh, just in top, not only survival but also kind of mutual thrival but speaking about survival when the great tsunami happened we know that our brothers and sisters in Andaman and Nicobar including in the COVID times Now, the indigenous people of the world, they were not that affected. And how was that? It Mm. was a different modality Mm. with living. Mm. But speaking, we have spoken about the anonymous a bit. Maybe we should speak a little bit about stories. What does it mean to...
0: Yeah, go ahead. Share a story. Where's the world headed?
1: And we can end with that. (laughs) Maybe since we are embraced by... The Kiss of Time. (laughs) I would just like to present a poem about stories. Sure. It goes like this. New stories, songs of wings. We need new stories, even new storytellers. New myths, magic and memories. New spaces and dances of imagination gathering subjugated knowledge as herbs of healing, alchemies of restitution and regeneration, speaking and listening to many voices in a gathering of past, present and future, a new spatial and temporal lokoshangraha, a new vishwa-nida, a new vishwa-jamaat of love, labor, fasting, feasting, and learning. Searching for roots underneath the rocks. Rocks start singing. Rivers of love and awakening come rushing. New roots and routes, oasis in the desert, forgotten and future ways of listening and being born again anew. Keeping the child in us warm with new stories dancing to the new songs of wings, new gardens of spring. Mm. Wonderful.
2: That's right. So, rejuvenation.
0: Mm. Where are we headed? Where will we go? What's the world of a thousand years later?
1: Now, world thousand years later begin with what we do today at yes, this moment. of course. Mm. And therefore, as humbly conscious participants in this conscious universe. Even if many people are sleeping, as it is written in Bhagavad Gita, mm-hmm. jānisā sarvabhūtāni tasyang Jagarti sanjami. Many people might be sleeping, but the sanjami is awakened. Therefore, what happens thousands of years ago Depends, maybe not 100% of us, even if 1% of us, we are just alert about where we are living, the changes, the challenges of technology, of humanity, poverty, vulnerability, our vulnerable Mother Earth, and then not giving up hope. Therefore, relating to Vira Virarasa, heroism, is not just the valor of subjugating the other. The real Virarasa is to be able to create hope. Mm. And how do we take part? Sringara, therefore, mm. both Sringara contributes the process of love and hope. And I would like to submit that for the plants, uh, the seeds that we plant today, in our multiple ways and it would determine what would happen after... Not only thousand years, but what is going to happen after in the future? long duration, long, long duration, also what is going to happen after 30 years, of course. I, of because course,
2: uh, one could do the Sringhara rasa, I would like to add the Karuna rasa as well. Yeah, uh, empathy, the, empathy. Yeah. I think empathy is you need to
0: start there.
2: I would think that 10,000 years ago, when archaeologists would dig up things, you would find these uh, atrocious cell phones, and that would be very difficult for people to to decipher what it was, because language... Uh, they wouldn't uh, have the
0: passwords. The,
2: they would, no, but the <laughs> language, language would be a uh, uh, atrocious form of language, because, uh, well, or uh, uh, whatever is the form we'll of language, see, we'll they would about. have to decipher that. But I think one thing that will happen, uh, I mean, uh, what seriously bothers me is uh, yeah, is the is the loss of the ways we speak. Because already Ganesh Devi tells us that we are losing many mother tongues. Something else will happen. Something else will happen, but a new form of language. And so therefore it will be names uh, that we will be retrieving. We'll be retrieving names. We'll try to, Through names, we'll be trying to retrieve. There'll be meaning. another mode
0: of being. It's yeah, fine. another
2: mode of being in which, but I mean, you know, it'll be very difficult to decipher the names. And therefore, a whole new anonymous would emerge. It'll
0: be anonymous in a different yes, kind of way. Yes,
2: exactly. Terrific. Yeah, thank terrific. you.
0: Thanks to both of you for making yeah. it. That's a good note to it was end a on. a pleasure. Thanks to you, and we we'll look forward to having you soon again. Thank you for coming. Thank
2: you. Thanks. Thanks.